0: Well, <laughs> I got to get my timepiece in in order here. Yeah, we want to welcome everybody to Sunday School at Victory Baptist Church. And uh I'm glad to see the ranks have swelled this morning. Glad to glad to see uh you here. I can't remember your name. Which son you are? Tyler. Tyler. Yep. <laughs> it's awfully good to see you. But uh um just, just thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. You know, I was thinking this week of uh, uh, things that I, I like about my job. And, you know, I, I drive a truck for a living, and it's not a thinking man's job necessarily. It's <laughs> another thing I like about my job. <laughs> just figure that one out. But, uh, you know, one thing I've always enjoyed about my job is that uh, I can see. You know, I, uh, you know I, it, the vehicle sits up higher, and, and I can see so many things. And one of the biggest disappointments was when uh, we'd go on vacation. I thought, boy, I'm going to show my wife this, and I'm going to show my wife that. And no, you couldn't see it from the automobile, even your SUV. You couldn't see over the guardrail. You couldn't see this thing. But, uh, you know, I, I, re- I remember uh, going uh, one of my early trips to uh, uh, Charleston. You go over to Beckley and then down to Charleston. And uh, on 64, there's a bridge called Glade Creek Bridge. And uh, it is the 10th highest bridge on the entire interstate system. That Glade Creek is 700 feet down below that bridge. And I remember I come across and I look and I thought, wow, I can't even see down there. So when I come back across, I didn't have any traffic with me. I got over on the shoulder was riding along and kind of standing up. Not in the seat, but you know, on the floorboard looking down there. And after one look, I decided I didn't want to see no more. <laughs> you know, I got over there. But if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. And that's kind of what Peter is doing for us here. He's he's going to give us a, a vantage point. He's going to give us the advantage of, of uh, looking at something without having to discover it for ourselves. You know, when I drive down the road, I can see over top almost all the vehicles, all the cars. You know, I can see brake lights earlier. Praise the Lord for the guy that thought about putting making brake lights automatic and not a, a man-initiated system like a turn signal. <laughs> They'd be used about as often, I figure. But uh, anyway, Peter's given us a vantage point. In chapter 1, he, he's talked about uh, the inspiration of the Word of God, how it was given to us. Uh, and and how that it's not of any private interpretation. We compare Scripture with Scripture, all these things. But in chapter 2, he kind of raises the seat here, and he says, I got something I want you to look out for. Now, you imagine how how you do with your own children. You know, when when your children are little, don't touch that, that's hot. You know, stay away from that, that's dangerous. And Peter's giving you a warning here, he's giving us a, a warning about apostate teachers, about false teachers. And I'm going to read the first three verses and we'll we'll be as rapid as we can here. The Bible says in first, or Second Peter chapter 2, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. He's speaking about the false prophets, Old Testament times, before Christ times. There's always been those that would pervert and distort the truth of the Word of God. He says... Um, "...who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways." And and that's what Peter wants to guard against. He doesn't want you to be among the many. Okay? He says, "...by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Now the first thing I want you to understand about this that that, uh, uh, Peter's uh, telling us is that this is not a new phenomenon. There's false prophets. They don't get eradicated. You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal that came after him? And this is King Ahab we're talking about now. Uh, his times. And what happens? The fire comes down from heaven, uh, consumes the sacrifice of Elijah, and they put all those false prophets to death, don't they? But it ain't that much longer, and Jehoshaphat's done, uh, kind of gotten league, a, a good king, king of Judah, has gotten leg with Ahab. And what's the Bible say? The Bible says that the, when, when he talked about going up to uh, Ramoth Gilead, he said, the prophets said go god's with you and jehoshaphat at least had enough sense to say is there not a prophet of god here you know you would have thought that after that uh, deal on mount carmel that'd been the end of the false prophets in that kingdom right now i know i know he had a he was a wicked man and he had a wicked queen but you know you'd think truth is is truth you know i'm convinced the truth not so not so in our time either you know there, but Notice there was only one. When Ahab said, there is yet one prophet of God, Ahab said, I hate him. <laughs> I hate this guy. He always prophesies bad against me. But let me tell you something. There's false prophets. And where does the Bible say they are? They said, among you. Among you. We like to think when we, we look among us, you know, that, that anytime you go to a Baptist church, it's devoid of that. that's not what the Bible teaches. That's why Peter says, be on your guard. Know these things. Understand these things. And I want you to understand this. They are not believers. You know, sometimes people in verse 1, they say, they read that part at the end of the verse, talking about the false prophets, talking about the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. They say, well, they're they're blood-bought Christians. No, that is not what he is talking about. They are not blood-bought Christians. You know... um, Uh, reading a a commentary, uh, I think he put it well, he said, the efficacy of of Christ paid for every man's sin, but every man did not receive the gift offered. And that's what these people are. Look at them, it says down in verse 3, whose judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. He said, you know what, their damnation is in progress it's in progress boy what a contrast that is to what we had last yes. week in John chapter 14 what what Jesus say I go to prepare a place for you right. and where was he preparing it in my father's house right, right. and I tell you one thing a, a a little thing that crops up in my mind everybody says that that word mansions it means rooms well technically that is the Greek is the Greek uh, uh, interpretation of it but when has God ever given you less than the best I mean less than the best. When it came to your salvation, he gave you his best, Jesus Christ, his son. But anyway, these people are not believers. In verse 14, the Bible says to them, they are cursed children. What what did uh, Jesus say here in John chapter 3 and verse 18? He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. These are cursed children. You know, what, what, what does Peter call them? There at the, in verse 22, he calls them dogs. Dogs, he says, returning to their own vomit. He says, sows wallowing in the mire again. Listen, these people are the dregs. Any, any, any um, uh, person that studies society will tell you that when the, when the females of that society, the women of society, give over, the things that are natural to them, love for their children, love, uh, kindness and tenderness, society is done. These people are the dregs of society. Their place in hell is assured and it is hot is all I can imagine. But he says, you're not to follow them. And i tell you, when I read this, I said, Lord, don't, don't, don't let my heart be so foolish. Said, Lord, let me have a heart for the foolish ones. You know, it doesn't say that they're beyond redemption, but that's their estate right now. But we're to recognize it. Not only that, the Bible says, He says, they are subtle. They are subtle, bringing in damnable heresies. He says, who privily, privily. There's a subtleness. You know, they, they, they come with the hiss of the serpent. Have you, ever, have you ever been walking along? You know, I walk a lot in the woods anymore. And uh, I can't tell you the number of times, and still I jump just as far every time. I've looked down, there's a snake, yeah. you know? I didn't hear that guy, I didn't see that yeah. guy until I got close, you know? <laughs> and uh, now Rattlesnake, he'd he give me a couple warnings, but most of these snakes, they just kind of lay there. Yeah. And you know, there's a subtlety about them. They come in, I, I, I look at them as religious politicians. They come in, the Bible says that they're, they, they kind of come in laying alongside yeah the truth, their heresy. They, 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 they come in. You, you, don't, you don't really know what they believe so much as what they deny. And they come in with that and they lay that, lay that beside things. You know, Peter says down there in verse 3, it says, with feigned words. You know what that word feigned mean? It's plastos. It's the Greek thing. It's where we get our word plastic from. It's words, they, they twist the word of God. They, they turn it into something that it's not. I was looking yesterday about, well, I'll get to that, looking yesterday at uh, some of the beliefs and the doctrine, I should say, of the Jehovah's Witness. And I, and I don't mind calling that a cult right. because how they twist yes. the Word of God. You know, not only, not only that, but denying the Word of God. It says that uh, denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction... You know, um, uh, in reading that, how, the, how they deny the personage of the Holy Spirit. They say because he's not, uh, the Holy Spirit's not um, uh, named like Jesus. He's not called the Father. He's, he's not a personage, he's just a uh, force, per se. That wasn't the word they used, I can't remember what they used. They deny the personage of the Holy Spirit, therefore they deny the Trinity. They d- d- deny that Jesus is God the Son. They'll say He's the Son of God, but He's not God the Son. Therefore, they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And they come in with subtlety and, and with uh, 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 cunning words. You know, they, they, many, many will tell you now, well, there is no hell. Because why? God is what? He is love. I I was watching a race last night, and and we don't even have regular TV. But this thing had a commercial come on, and it showed people washing each other's feet. And it took me a second to pick up on uh, the people that were washing each other's feet. I'd never seen this. And it said, Jesus didn't judge. He washed feet. Or feet. Just, really? Really? uh, But it says, He loved so should you or so should we all forget how it put it just heresies things that, things that divide they, they reject the, what it is they reject the authority of God and of scripture they become gods I'm the new authority have you ever talked to somebody and they say yeah I, I believe it but I think or no I, I know what it says but I, I think they become God. That's what's happened. And Peter wants you to know about those things. Uh, and I'll, I'll just finish up with this. You know, in verse 2, the Bible says, And many shall follow their, what, pernicious ways. Their pernicious ways. You know, pernicious means ruinous. It means um, lasciviousness. In other words, it, it, the, the, the bend there is towards sensual types of sins, sexual sins, those types of things. And, and, you know, you look around and, and look how that is, has inserted itself into what used to be mainstream denominations, and now how that homosexuality is acceptable in these denominations, not just acceptable among the membership, but among the leadership. You know, in three days, it'll be the 30th anniversary of the um, uh, attack, I'll say, on David Koresh's compound of the Branch Davidians down in Waco, Texas. You know what David Koresh built himself as? I'm the last prophet. You know what his uh, come on was? He said, If, if, if you are to have physical relations with me, to other women, you will receive a special blessing. They're pernicious ways. And we see it all around us. Wickedness. That's exactly right. The Bible says here in verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they lure through the lust of the flesh. These great swelling words of vanity. You know, in 1937, the Hindenburg coming into New Jersey burst into flame. The Hindenburg was 804 feet long. It was 132 feet in diameter. This thing was big. I mean, you're talking, it's only 80 feet shorter than the Titanic was. That's how big it was. But when it burst into flame, you know it burnt in less than 30 seconds? Because there was nothing inside. It's full of literally hot air. Gas. That's what, that's what the words of these people are. But they prey upon what? Our own lust. You ever get a call, hey, you know, just do this and, and uh, you'll get something. I had a friend, to, and if you sell timeshares, I know it's not all like that, but they promised him if he'd come to a timeshare uh, seminar, he'd get a 16-foot boat. And he thought, he, you know, no kidding, my buddy took his trailer. He'd come out of there with a plastic boat with 16 feet on the bottom. <laughs> right? And I've heard that story from someone else, too. Yeah. Listen, swelling words. They promise much. They deliver death and destruction. We don't have time to finish. I'm sorry, Brother Tony. But Peter says be on guard. Be on guard.
1: Good to see you this morning, good to see Donna. It's good to have Kendall's mom with us this morning. If you're visiting here this morning, I uh, want to welcome you. And before we begin, we'll take some prayer requests and go to the Lord in prayer. So, if anybody on this side has any special requests this morning, uh, just raise your hand. And, uh, make sure. Joanna, um, not well like <laughs> <laughs> what was the last part, Joanna? Okay, Uh, be praying for Brother Jared, not feeling well today, and then he's going to be gone this week traveling, so just be praying for him as he travels. And then be praying for Angie Pullen, Uh, used to be part of our church. She's having some issues physically, so we need to be praying for her. Uh, Anybody else over here? Donna? Amen. Thank God for all he does every day. God is good. And uh, we praying for Tyler as so he travels back today. Anybody else over here? Uh, Russ? Uh, continue to pray for Chloe. And also, uh, pray for my brother. He just found out this week that he's got prostate cancer. Okay. Continue to be praying for Chloe. We pray for her every week. And I trust you pray for her during the week, the family. Uh, we'll just be praying for Chloe, and then be praying for Russ's brother, he uh, has been diagnosed with prostate cancers, and you'll we'll be praying for him. Rebecca? I have a special unspoken request. Uh, whatever that might be, just be praying. Uh, anybody else over here? Anybody on this side this morning, any special requests? Kathy? Be praying for Kathy, she's gonna to have to move uh, from where she's at, and just looking, just be praying God. And I've been praying for you. I've been praying God to help you find a place to live. So just be praying for Kathy; she needs a place to live. Amen. And uh, just be praying for that situation. Uh, anybody else? Anybody at all? Uh, Diane? Another unspoken request. Just be praying for that. Anyone else before we pray? Stephanie? Continue to play, pray for Speck. He's still in Amen. pain. Amen. We'll be praying for Brother Danny. He's having a lot of issues with the sciatic nerve. A lot of pains. So we'll be praying for him. Anybody else? Okay, another request. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. You pray as I pray. Let's ask God to bless today. Father, I thank you. Lord, for the privilege that it is to come to the house of God. Father, I pray that our desire today, Lord, each one of us, is to come and to meet with You. Father, as we open up the Word of God, may we meet the Lord Jesus Christ on the pages of Scripture. Father, I pray that, Lord, You will forgive us, Lord, for our... Weakness, Lord, our lack of concern, Father, lack of being wholehearted. Lord, today I pray that as the Word of God goes forth, Lord, we will determine in our heart, with the help of God, we're going to give the Lord Jesus Christ His rightful place. Lord, prioritize our life. Father, get serious about the things of God. Father, I thank You this morning for the warning that we've already heard from the Word of God. Lord, I do thank You for the love of God, for His mercy, for His grace, for His long-suffering. Father, I thank You that that is part of Your attributes. Lord, You're also holy, righteous, worthy. Father, you judge. Lord, help us never to forget that the eyes of God are upon every place. Lord, you see all. Father, help us to live our life. Lord, that it would be pleasing to you. Help us to be your disciple that we should be. Father, I pray now, Lord, as We open up Your Word that You'll help me. Lord, I need Your help. I do want to be a blessing. Lord, help me to be clear. Father, help me just to deliver Your truth. Father, for Brother Byron as he comes after a while, Lord, fill him with Your Spirit. Lord, give him unction. Father, give him the power of God. Give him wisdom of the Word of God. Lord, bind Satan. Father, help us all this morning to have, be open to the Word of God, to listen. And Lord, not to be hearers only, but to be willing to be doers only, to, to be willing to heed what you have for us. Father, we've heard many requests this morning. Lord, I think of Chloe, Lord, with this cancer, and Father, with this last treatment coming up. Father, that, Lord, you just keep her healthy? Help these treatments, Lord, to do what they're intended to do. Just uh, encourage her, encourage her family. Lord, just be, meet each need. Father, keep her healthy to be able to take this last treatment. Father, for Russ's brother that's been diagnosed with prostate cancer, Lord, I lift him up before you this morning. Father, just encourage him. Be with the doctors. Give them wisdom there. Lord, as they uh, work and decide what to do, Father, we think of these unspoken requests that have been mentioned. Father, whatever the situation is, Lord, may you prove yourself mighty. Lord, may you work in each situation, Father, that you'll just uh, be glorified in all of it. Lord, I think of Danny this morning, Lord, with the sciatic nerve, and Father, the Pain that he's in, Father. Think of Brother Jared this morning that is not feeling well. Lord, be with him as he travels this week. Be with Tyler as he travels home today, Father. That you'll just protect them on the highway, Amen. Father. For Kathy, yes. Lord, she needs going to need a place to live, Father. I pray the Lord that you'll provide that, Lord. You'll open a door, Father. Just, uh, just, just what's needed. Father, just help her to find a place. Lord, for the other requests that's been mentioned this morning, Father, that I failed to mention, Lord, we leave them with you. Father, I'm thankful that you don't forget. Lord, you hear it all. and Father, I ask that you just bless our time together now. And we give you the praise for all that's done. It's in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Take your Bible and go back to the book of Romans again. Romans chapter 7. We started chapter 7 last week and looked at actually the first six verses. And your Romans is so filled with doctrine. Yeah. So filled with doctrine. Uh, so far in the book of Romans, we've learned the truth that all men are sinners. All men are sinners. All are guilty. There's none righteous, no, not one. You read the first three chapters of Romans and You can't avoid seeing that. Listen, we've learned that righteousness and salvation come through only one the Lord Jesus Christ. Only by faith. Listen, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, it's not through religion. The world is religious, religion saves no one. It's not through the law. It's only by faith. We can't try our way to heaven. And so many people in the world today are trying their way to heaven. The only way to heaven is to trust your way to heaven. We've learned our relationship to sin. The power of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. Sin doesn't have to reign in our mortal body. You know, before salvation, we had only one nature. And that was old, that old Adamic nature, that old sin nature. But thank God the moment that you trusted Christ, the moment that I trusted Christ, a new nature. Amen. Born again, born from above, given a new nature. No longer having to live under the power of sin. We've been delivered from that. I love chapter 6 and verse 11, I think it was, where it says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've learned about our relationship to, to the law. Listen, we're married to another. I love that verse last week. We looked at it in chapter 7, verse 4. I think it was. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should what? Be married to, Be another. Married to another. Who is that other? Even to him yes. who is raised from the dead, yes. that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Listen, what we've been delivered from. Never get over it. Please don't ever get over where you were. And God found you. and Saved you. Gave you eternal life. But now, verses 7 through 13. Last week, we looked at the religious man. I mean, the, the spiritual man. I told you in chapter 7, you see all three men. You see the spiritual man. You see the carnal man. You see the natural man. This week we're going to look at the natural man. Really, it's an, the first part of Paul's autobiography. is verses 7 through 13. We're looking at Paul's life before conversion. Before Paul came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And his identification with the law. And what the law was to the natural man. We're going to read verses 7 through 13. Verse 7 says... What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of consupiences. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Verse 7. Paul opens verse 7. I want to look at verse 7 because, listen, the law reveals sin. That's what the law does. Paul opens verse 7 with a question. He opens this portion of Scripture with a question. He says, is the law sin? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, of course not. Paul says, the law is not sin. Of course not. The law came from God. Thus, it can't be evil. The law is not evil. The law is not sinful. The law came from God. Paul says, is the law sinful? No. The law is not sinful, it's of God. Listen, it's not the law that's evil, it's the person that's evil. It's the individual. It's sin that's evil. It's not the law. You know, the the main function of the law of God is to do one thing. The main function of the law of God is to do one thing. Expose sin. Now, as human beings, as people, our, our Way is to cover it up. Right. Our way is to excuse it. Man's way is to camouflage it. Right. Just just think about, you know, we even give it proper names. Right. Right. We give it respectable names. You know, we don't call a man a drunkard. No. Yeah. No. We call him an alcoholic. We don't call it Drunkenness, sin, we call it a disease. When we speak of a man, we say he had an affair. God says he committed adultery. Do you see the game that we play with it? Listen, it's dangerous. We camouflage it. We cover it up. We excuse it. You know, we don't call a man a liar. We say he's got a vivid imagination. A lively imagination. Man wants to cover it up. But you know what the law does with sin? The law reveals it. The law reveals sin. Paul goes on to say there in verse 7, he says, I had not known sin. I wouldn't even have known sin. Listen to what he says. But by the law. He says, I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. I believe that before the Apostle Paul's conversion, he had very little trouble keeping those first nine commandments. I mean, you read, you read some of him before, His qualifications, says according to the law, blameless. But when he got to that 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. That dealt with the inward part of Paul. That dealt with the heart of Paul. And Paul knew that inwardly, I'm guilty. Wasn't only externally. You see, Paul realized by the law that I'm guilty because of my heart, because of what takes place in my heart. He knew well That inwardly, much of his desires were wrong. That's what the law does. The law reveals. You know, Paul's not blaming his sin on the law. Paul's not saying that the law was evil. He's not blaming his sin on the law. He's saying that the law made plain exactly who he was. The law made plain exactly who he really was. The law exposes sin. The law identifies sin. Paul said, I wouldn't have known that it was sin had it not been for the law. Not only does it identify sin, but the law in verse 8, it revives sin. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, But sin, taking occasion... That word occasion simply means a starting point. But sin, taking occasion with a starting point, by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of... And I never can pronounce this word. Consupiscence. We'll go for, for that. For without the law, sin... Was dead. You know what? Sin sees the law as an opportunity. That's what it does. Sin sees the law as an opportunity to sin. I was thinking, and we see it every day. You know, you've seen signs, I've seen signs, keep off the grass. What's the first thing I want to do? I want to step on the grass. I can't help it. I want to step on the grass. I see a sign that says speed limit 55 miles per hour. What do we want to do? We want to see if we can get away with running 60. We do. That's, that's that old sin nature. You see, we want to rebel against the law. We want to see if we can get by with disobeying the law. You know, that's exactly the process that brought sin into the world. God created Adam and Eve. He placed them in a perfect environment. And God gave them one law. God gave them one command. And you know what Satan used as a springboard? Was that one command. You read Genesis 2, 17, it's clear. What God warned, what God told them. Then you read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It was the law that God had given that law, that command that God had given that proved to be the springboard Satan used to entice man to sin. That's what Paul's saying here in verse eight. But sin taking occasion by the commandment, sin taking the opportunity, sin used that as the starting point, the commandment as the starting point, wrought in me all manner of consupians. For without the law, sin was dead. You know, when I I read that last part there, without the law, sin was dead. Paul's not saying that before the law, there was no sin. I mean, read the Word of God. Listen, it was rampant. Sin was before the law. But when you... What Paul's saying here is that where the law doesn't exist, the full knowledge of what is wrong doesn't exist. I wrote that down. Where the law didn't exist, the full knowledge of what was wrong didn't exist. Wasn't a sin didn't exist, but the full knowledge of what was wrong with it didn't exist. But when, listen, when that straight edge of the law Came, you know what it did? It showed the crookedness of human nature. Right. It showed the, our crookedness. It showed us our sin. There is no salvation in the law. Do you know what the law does? The law points folks to Christ. Right. The law can never save. It will never save. Don't ever be under the impression that you can merit your way to heaven, or you can, by effort, gain righteousness. There is only one. There is no such a thing as your works getting you to heaven. There's only one that could fill the righteous demands of the law. The Lord Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it. He fulfilled those righteous demands. Only one. you It doesn't matter how high you try to go, you'll never reach the height that you need to get on your own. You'll never reach it. The law exposes sin. The law revives sin. Verse 8. When you look at verses 9 through 11... The law ruins sinners. Look at verse 9. Paul says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Paul's saying, There was a time in my life when I felt alive. There was a time in my life when I felt alive. He said, I was alive once. Without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived. Paul was trusting in his way. But you see, the Spirit of God convicted Paul. Helped him to see that he was guilty. When I read Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6... And you can read these. We don't have time to go there, but if you'll read Philippians 3:4 through 6 and 2 Corinthians 11:18 through 29, that's Paul's autobiography of who he was before conversion. In the world's eyes, he was blameless, but in God's eyes, he was in need of a Savior. He was guilty. Paul realized all of his efforts and all of his righteousness was his filthy rags. And you know, and that's Isaiah 64, 4, it? I think it is, but there's where a person has to be, be. There's where you've got to get before you can be saved. You've got to come to the point to where you realize, I'm lost. You know, when you talk to a person about the Lord, and they begin to tell you all of the things that they are, and the reasons that God's going to accept them, you've got to break that down and get them to understand that this is the reason God's not going to accept you. You're lost. When a person begins to name everything possible and you don't even hear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned, you've got to dig. You've got to start digging. Because you see, that person... It's just as Paul thought he was. Righteous. His own efforts were good enough. You have to get a person to understand that they're lost before they can ever be saved. They've got to understand it. They've got to see themselves as God sees them. They've got to agree with God. I'm not worthy. I have nothing to offer God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness that He imputes to me, that He gives to me. It's not my own. Verse 10. Paul goes on to say, he says, And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. Paul's telling us here that he had trusted the law. He had trusted the law to give Him eternal life. But in the end... All the law could deliver was condemnation, death, and an eternal lake of fire. You know, have you ever thought, you know what the law's real purpose is? You know, if you're going down the road and you've got a policeman following you, and you're running the speed limit, you're doing everything right, he doesn't pull you over and come up to the car and tell you, I want you to come down to the police station. We want to reward you for obeying the law. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He's there for the lawbreaker. He's not there to reward you for obeying the law. I mean, that's what's expected of you. Same with stop signs, whatever. You see, the law doesn't reward. The law doesn't reward. Keep that in mind and you'll understand that, hey, I need the Lord Jesus Christ because the law doesn't reward. All the law does is condemn. That's what the law does. It condemns. It exposes. It identifies. Verse 11. Paul says, For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me. Well, if that isn't fact? Sin deceived me. And by it, slew me. You see, sin had lulled Paul into believing that he could keep the law, and the law would be enough, but the Spirit of God revealed the truth to Apostle Paul. Whether I believe it all began there with Stephen, I really do. I believe when he looked at himself and he looked at Stephen, He said, I don't have what he's got. I believe conviction started right there in his life. Verses 12 and 13 quickly. I got this. This isn't my outline. I got this outline from Phillips. But he said that sin reflects, I mean, the law reflects sin. Look at verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. That's what the law is. But it's our relationship to the law before salvation and my relationship to the law after salvation. Before salvation, all I want to do, all I want to do is rebel against it. All I want to do is rebel, but after salvation, there's a desire in my heart to live according to the law, to live by the commandments of the law, to live as God intends for me to live. These are instructions that God has given for you and I to live a life by. And we have a different desire now. My desire isn't. I have a new nature. It isn't to do what it used to be. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. Nothing. But can I tell you one thing? The law will never change you. The law by itself will never change you. The law was given. It's a, it's a signpost. I don't have time to finish this part right here. But the law was given to do one thing. To point me to the one who could change me. To point me to the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood on Calvary that would pay for my sins. Read verses 14 through 25. And we're going to look at the carnal man next week.